You can get in your fancy yells, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the green dragon. All right. Welcome everyone. We've got a bit of a special episode here, a bit of a crossover going on. Uh, this is Lowlands Wargaming, but this is also the Green Dragon Podcast. Welcome everyone. Hello, hello. <laughs> yeah, it should be a should be a banger of a collab because we had a banger of a game. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I'm Kevin from Lowlands Wargaming, joined by Kylie from the Green Dragon Podcast. Um, so if you're listening, you can also watch this on Lowlands Wargaming. If you're watching this, you can also listen to this content on the Green Dragon Podcast, because we're going to be uploading the same thing uh, onto both channels and do a bit of a, a collab that way. So, yeah, it should, should be good. Should be good. Yeah, amazing. So today we have something in store for you. We're going to talk about the Masters uh, at Articon. Kylie and I both participated. Uh, we had an absolute banger of a game that we'll go over in, in detail. Uh, it was an absolute joy to uh, play against you. Um, but maybe it's also nice for our, our viewers and our listeners to talk about the general experience of the Masters of Articon because it's not something that a lot of people can mm. attend. And I think it's a pretty special event and special atmosphere that uh, will be interesting to you know talk a bit about and, and share our experience. Experiences. Uh, but before we get into too much detail, maybe um, Kylie, could you give a, a, a short introduction about of yourself for the people that haven't seen or heard of you before? Yeah. Well, I'm Kylie. I'm one of the infamous voices of the Green Dragon. So I've been playing the game for too long now. I've been playing since first edition, like Fellowship era, kind of kind of deal. You know, get kind of getting pretty deep into the Lord of the Rings because that's how I got into it. You know. Big fan of Lord of the Rings, read the books when I was a kid, found the game, went, oh, this seems like up my alley. And then, yeah, just kind of slowly consumed my entire life. And then, yeah, tournaments just suddenly become a natural thing when you're playing the game. And after a while, the community just slowly started to build. And then suddenly I'm attending international tournaments. So, you know, that's a linear curve, surely. Yeah, so you, you've been doing this for for a really long time. Have you ever had a, like really a, a, a break, or have you been gaming pretty much for twenty no. years now? No, it's been twenty years straight through, nonstop, ever since I was like, I think it was eleven when I started. I think that's when the game came out. Eleven or eleven or twelve. I was in I was in grade six, and yeah, it's 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 been one thing of like, there's been some times when I've like not played as much because there haven't been as many players around me. But once I found um, a gaming club uh like two hours away from me though which is kind of weird that i was traveling two hours like weekly to go play games and that my dad was okay with that and cool with that and letting me travel and taking me to those so like shout out to dad whether are up there so yeah it's, it's it's one of those things of like once you find that core group of friends uh, and, and gamers that you just kind of you know suddenly you're helping them move and and they're helping you sort out your shit for going overseas. So, yeah, it's it's nothing I would ever trade in in any way, shape, or form. It's been a, it's been a great like journey, especially to get to kind of the last few years where like the competitive scene has just exploded in terms of like how many people are getting involved now. Yeah. So, would you say that um, the scene now is better than it used to be in Australia? Uh definitely, definitely. So, uh, like, key point was like like way back in like, I think it was like 20, uh, I'm going to say like 2012 or something around there. I think 2013, 2014, um, me uh, and my uh, my friend Josh 
Uh, we traveled up to Sydney for a tournament called Clash of the Titans, which was like a big deal because like no one really at that point traveled interstate to tournaments because like Australia's really big, it takes forever to get to anywhere. So when we rocked up, everyone was like, "Holy crap, we have Victorians here!" Like what? And then we played played the tournament. Uh, I managed to uh, win that tournament too. Like somehow uh, getting through it back in the old days when you know. People were proxying Treebeard as Beyond because Beyond didn't exist. And and LA matrices were things of the past. So you had all sorts of wacky combinations. You, you know, they had just leading random, you know, Minister of Warriors and, and stuff like that. So played that tournament, had a blast with it. And then, um, yeah, I, everyone trying to share contact information. And then from that one moment, that one interaction, our you know, community page popped up on Facebook, the forum started popping off because everyone started to know each other. And then slowly but surely the fires like spread all up the East Coast and eventually all the way to Perth. And we now have a pretty tight knit, you know, national wide community that, you know, will go support each other's events and stuff. So it's it's been great and great for our hobby to grow it because we really needed that connection in our own country. Um, Cause like, not in Europe. We don't have like, you know, France next door where we can just, you know, go and play in another tournament next weekend. We have to kind of really wait like a month or two before the next big event shows up because we're just, we're just so small. Yeah. Yeah. So spread out. Yeah. Well, you're not small. You're spread out, right? It's a, it's a distance. Yeah. 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 It's interesting that you, you say that because we had a similar thing happen here in the Netherlands where um, COVID kind of um, reinvigorated the hobby in a, in a weird way because I, I myself am one of the many players that picked the hobby up again during COVID. So I, I used mm-hmm. to play like you when I was like, I think 11 or 12 years old uh, when the magazines came out, etc. But I stopped and I didn't play for 15, maybe 17 years or something like that. And I picked the hobby yeah, wow. back up. And then around that time, uh, somebody started a Discord server for the Netherlands. And then slowly but surely, we've been like integrating every little community that has been in different cities because they used to be like little hubs of players that would just play games together or do mm. small tournaments. But now we're getting bigger and bigger and more frequent tournaments uh, in the Netherlands, which has really helped you know shape up the competitive players as well because they used to be quite tied to like the Rotterdam area or yeah. be a group around Utrecht. And these cities are only half an hour apart, but they would stay in their own local groups because they had their WhatsApp group and that's just where the communication was. Yeah. And the Discord server is what it took to kind of knit all of that together. And yeah, that's, we're at the point now so where cool. we're, we're selling out like 50 player tournaments that aren't even like GTs or anything. It's just like, hey, we're organizing a tournament and we have the space and it's like sold out. And like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's really that's, nice. That's so cool. That's that's like kind of like heartwarming to know that like some of the grain pains that we went through uh, uh uh, still happening in the other side of the world and still flourishing in the same kind of ways. It's it's kind of amazing like to hear that. Uh, and I don't think it's just the Netherlands too. Like I've heard stories from the US community and the Canadian community as well, like similar kind of fires being relit during COVID, which is really interesting. You would think that COVID would kill the hobby, but for some reason it did the opposite. Well, I can't speak for other people, but for myself, it was really a case of all of my other hobbies were impossible during COVID. Mm. And I was going stir crazy from just sitting behind the screen all day because I w- would be doing that for work. I would be in the same room. And then in the evening, all I could do was play games, but that would be on the same machine that I used for, to work from home in the same room. Yeah. That was just no. And then I was like, oh, um, I was playing miniature games with a friend of mine that I recently picked up was Warhammer Underworlds. So I was like, well, we used to play Lord of the Rings as well. That was really fun. And 
I think I still have some stuff at my parents, and then it just kind of escalated from there. I just got yeah. these old minis that I painted like almost twenty years ago, and I'm like, oh my god, this is horrible. <laughs> but yeah, yeah was... some of those old minis, very hit and miss. Some of them are like absolutely, like how they not had an update. Classically, I think the uh, the the old school like high elf bowmen and swordsmen and like the Moria goblins are just. They're just trashed here. Oh yeah, just no. So I, I I had some painted Moria goblins and I had some unpainted ones as well from the stuff from my parents. So I I my first project was well let's paint some Moria goblins and see how well I can yeah. do now versus how well I did back then and already massive improvement just from like modern techniques and materials and yeah. whatever and just being an adult rather than a teenager who has no idea what the hell mm. he's doing. That also helps. <laughs> yes, that, that that is that is true. I can definitely say that uh, some of my old models are a bit bit cringy to bit cringy to look at. I think uh, like the goblin green metal, bases. Yeah. Oh, the goblin green bases. Oh, that's a throwback and a half. Right. Uh, I, I do, do find uh, some of my my really old uh, like really really old metal orcs and went, oh no. I can't let anyone see these, and ended up just throwing them in the acetone and stripping them and redoing them. Because I'm like, yeah, these these were bad. Like they were Christmas gift for my dad from way back when. It was like, oh, these are new, aren't they? I was like, yeah, I guess. I don't really play orcs though. But... Yeah. Well, I mean, the metal orcs are also like precious enough that I would also yeah. probably strip them and redo them. But I've yeah. also got like Warriors of Ministry that I painted 20 years ago. I'm just keeping them. I'm not playing with them usually unless i need an yeah. extraordinary amount of them but uh just kind of nostalgic i don't really want to strip yeah. them or anything i'm just gonna keep them and yeah you know it's a testament to how far we've come as a hobby as a whole i think yeah it's interesting to like to look back to and like 20 year old paint jobs and like look at what you've done now and go yeah wow there is a marked improvement here in yeah. technique and yeah. ability well it's not just in um, personal skill it's also uh, you know the hobby as a whole if you look at golden demon winners from 20 years ago yeah. you're like i could do that uh, but if yeah. you look at gold demon winners now i'm like uh never yeah, <laughs> never in my life hard pass hard pass i've seen some of the techniques i've seen i've seen um because jeremy's done some models that are de golden dim quality and every time he like how did you do that he's like mm, i just paint he's like that's whole jeremy's I, whole thing is he, he paints that, I, that's I the wish, thing he loves I wish. more than anything else and well, like we've got louis from yeah. the from belgium that is kind of on that level here he i think he paints an average of 30 or 30 something hours a week and he basically wins that's best insane. painted at any event he goes to uh because yeah. that's also why he goes to international events just to win best painted the, the man's crazy He's really yeah. good at painting. Anyway, the other thing that always like blows my mind as well with the painting is how quick they get. Yes. Because like that was the one thing I, I've seen Jeremy like paint like like uh, a golem like amazingly in like twenty minutes. Yeah. I'm like, how'd you do that in twenty yeah. minutes? Like you watch mm -hmm. channels like Squid Miner, like oh I did this paint job in two hours and I'm like mate that this would cost me like two months to do onto that level like yeah. how on yeah. earth it's just they're so confident anyway so we're getting a little bit off track here let's let's go back to the, to the masters um so did, uh, this year you participated in the masters at Articon. uh how did you mm -hmm. qualify so i had to qualify through that uh same tournament that i mentioned earlier clash of the titans that was the tournament we picked way back when um as the australian community as was going to be our uh like our entry point because it was the biggest tournament we had and it was the tournament that had the most particularly the most in-state representation so we figured that would be the best thing which is kind of ironic now because we have other tournaments like masters and so 
that are now bigger than what Clash is. So there's this like awkward thing of like, do we move the ticket across to a different tournament? But we're still keeping it at Clash for now. And yeah, that was a bit of a slugfest to me. I ran the Dragon Emperor to that tournament and had to really fight my way through uh, the pack to, to get there. We we had a, like a group stage on day one. So you had your round robin between three other players. And then you got, um, depending on how well you went, depends if you're of like top of the half or bottom of the half going into day two. Made it to top half out of my group. And then, uh, yeah, kind of had to slog my way through the pack. And yeah, some of the matchups I had were really weird too. Like I was playing Hunter Orcs against one of our uh, 40K national players who was just playing Lord of the Rings for shits and giggles. And that was a really tough game to like punch through and stuff. And I think the only reason why I got the win in that game was because my rules knowledge was just leaps and bounds beyond what he was used to. And then, yeah, got the win there and went, well, I guess I requalify for uh, Articon. And then you had to go. (laughs) Yeah. Basically. That's nice. Is there like a, do you have a, a podcast episode on, on that tournament that people could uh, um, listen to? I do. Uh, weirdly enough, I'm actually, uh, just, just before we started this call, was editing it. Um, ah. uh, so, little spoiler alert or pre, pre, preamble is uh, I do have an episode on uh, Clash of the Titans from this year. It's a long time coming. We recorded that episode like way back in May. So, getting it finally done and trying to get it out in my like spare time between flights and on trains and stuff has been a little side project and All stuff. Right. Well, you heard it here first. That's the next one coming. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take the baton over for, um, for, yes, for I was going to throw it to you and ask you the same I'm just going to grab it. You're doing the, you're just going to grab it off me. Do the, do the proper hosting. So yes. it comes up from me. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, this is also kind of what I do for a living. I'm, I'm like a researcher, yeah. so I interview people all the time. So I'm kind of used to steering the conversation and yeah. making sure people keep on track and whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, for the, the, those of you listening, um, my name is Kevin. I'm from the Netherlands, from uh, Lowlands Wargaming. Um, like most people I, uh, over here, I started with the, the little booklets and we actually had translated booklets into Dutch. So I learned all of the rules in centimeters instead of inches way back when. That's a fun little detail. There's actually a few people that were still playing in centimeters like a year or so ago before they finally integrated into the rest wow. of the game. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because yeah. if you're if you're oh, only that's... ever playing with like yeah. a few friends and you're just using the old rules from way back when, you can do that. You can totally mm. use centimeters and there were like substitutes for all measurements and bases and things like that which is kind of crazy Mm. um but yeah like i I mentioned earlier i I picked up the hobby again during COVID, and i went pretty hardcore really quickly with in terms of tournaments i basically attended every single thing that i could in the netherlands and learned really quickly that way i I did attend articon last year uh that was my first major international event so i didn't get my hopes up too much but i did pretty well um we went undefeated on day one of the doubles and then unfortunately lost two games which meant we ended up sixth or seventh or something um yeah but we did defeat the people that ended up first and the people that ended up third so we basically beat the majority oh, yeah, of that's, the podium that's, um so that's, that was kind of cool that's a win right there yeah yeah and then on uh the main event i went Two wins, one loss, and three draws, which was kind of crazy. Three draws? Th- draw. You walked away with three? Yes. Well, I mean, it, to be fair, <laughs> one of them was an arranged draw because I, I went up against Evan Iverson in the final round and we weren't playing for yeah. any stakes anymore. 
And I'm not sure if you heard the stories, but last year Articon was in a heat wave and the air conditioning in the hotel was broken. So the floor at the end of the days was like 37, 38 degrees or something Celsius. Wow, uh, so my kind of weather. Yeah, so that's no fun <laughs> after a full day mm. of games. So we were both pretty much done. And it was, a, I think it was to the death, so there were banner VPs, we couldn't get each other's banner. Uh, he was playing Angmar with Gulovar and... I, if I moved into him, that would have been losing proposition. If he moved into me, it would have been losing proposition. So we were kind of positioning for a draw anyways. So after like 20 minutes of that, I just kind of looked at him like, hey, do you want to go, just go for a drink and call it a draw? Because, <laughs> you know, we're not playing for any stakes anymore. So we didn't go yeah. to the full time, but it didn't matter anyways because we were like yeah. 60 place in, in the rankings or something. Like, yeah, it was whatever. But yeah, the other games were really good. Plus, plus, I imagine like the whole hate situation was probably got you to the point where you're like, I don't want to sit here for another oh, absolutely. hour, forty minutes, and just push models around. Yeah, no, ev everybody was just sweating their ass off, and it just it was not fun. Like it was yeah. fun, but it wasn't as fun as it could be. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it put yeah. a kind of a damper on things. So this year was a lot better. Um, but yeah, so that was my first major international event, and I, I really enjoyed it. So I decided to also go to Belfast, which is how I qualified for mm. the Masters. Uh, I joined Larry uh, there, and when I saw the, the list that were posted and the people attending, I th uh, there were 58, 56 players or something along those lines. Yeah. I was like, I think 25 of these could honestly take the top spot or at least compete yeah. for podiums. Like There were some really solid players attending. So I didn't really expect to win the event. I was like hoping to be the best Emperor because there were like five Emperor players there. Um, but I was kind of, I don't know, I played really well, but I also was kind of lucky with matchups and scenario picks that most things lined up to the point where I'm like, nothing was unwinnable. Mm. Like, there were a few hard matchups, but, um, you know, it's also a really big part of the game. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean, you always need a, a tiny bit of luck to, to get that far in a tournament, too. Like, I can tell you, for for instance, that my pod in, in Clash was a, a favorable pod for me and, and what I was running. So, yeah, I totally get it, but... I mean, you always take those, and you still have to convert the win at the end yeah. of the day too. So it's not, it's yeah. not a skillless, you know, kind of walk in the park. No, absolutely. And I mean, there were five other Emperor players out there, right, who had the same scenarios and probably yeah. over averaging same similar matchups. So, um, yeah, it's 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 down to a little bit of luck, but also a lot of, a lot of skill trying yeah. to make the most of it. Um, so for people that are interested, I did do a full review of that event, so I won't go too much into detail uh, of that during this uh, little episode but yeah then i suddenly qualified i didn't expect a, a two but i was like okay i guess i'm playing the masters <laughs> instead of the doubles event so uh, i had to tell my doubles partner to go find uh, someone else to play with yeah which is always a fun yeah. conversation to have fortunately uh the same day we found out that the person who had won the dutch gt uh actually didn't uh, plan on going to articon and the person that plays second was a dutch player so he got that ticket which is why there were two Dutch players yeah. in, the, in the Masters, and our doubles partners just were like, mm. okay, guess we're playing together yeah. now. So that worked out in the end. So yeah, that's that's how we ended up in the, in the Masters. Um, so for the people that are unaware about what the Masters are, Kylie, you've got more Masters experience of the two of us. Could you maybe tell people well, about it? I, I do, but I think I think a very interesting point to make here is between the, between the two Masters events I've attended, was 2019 and 2023. Mm -hmm. That's a four-year gap. And the, the tournament structure and, and stuff has changed. So when I first played Masters the first couple of years, it was knockout. One loss, you're out, you're done. 
and uh, draws weren't possible because there was a tiebreaker um, for every scenario about what would happen if there was a draw. So I had to fight my way through this, you know, round of 16 gauntlet, just having to throw haymakers at, at, at these really top quality players. And that was the one thing that did remain, though, was the, the sectioned off area and playing against other players that really knew what they were doing. And I was really glad to see that not only had that remained at the Masters this year with us being up on the balcony, but that same quality of player had gone up and the respect that everyone had for each other had also gone up. And it was just, it's, it's night and day different between being up on the balcony playing the Masters and then down to the floor because everyone there had come from a tournament where they've basically gone 6-0, right? Or, or something very close to it. And there's this understanding of like, you're one of the best players in your country. I'm one of the best players in my country. Let's just play this game as intended. Let's play it proper, declare everything, have a conversation while we're having, while we're playing the game and, and just have a really, honestly, just a fun time playing the game. Because when you have two players at that level, they, you almost kind of like do this weird mind melding thing where you, you kind of understand as your opponent's playing and doing their moves and talking to you, what they're trying to do and what their intention is. So the clarification is just so simple. There's no argy-bargy back and forth. It's just, oh, yeah, you're staying out of range, so this rule doesn't proc. Sure, no worries. And then even when the table inevitably gets bumped, because, you know, Klutz, like me, uh, bumps the table because her hands are shaking so much. <laughs> um, we already know what's happening, and we already understand, you know, how, how their combats are going and all that kind of stuff like that. So, yeah, it's if, if anyone out there uh, is aspiring to, like, Play at that kind of level. Um, try and get yourself a ticket because it is, it is. A, I don't think there is any other tournament in the world that will come close to the atmosphere and camaraderie that you will get at the Masters event. Yeah, that was one thing that really stuck out to me as well. It's um, a lot of the players also knew each other because you bump into each mm. other at the top tables at other events or they've heard of each other. Um, uh, in my case, some people recognize me from the content that I make. Um, so yeah. you, there, there's a sense of camaraderie, and you're, you also you want to have a good game, and you want to socialize, and you want to obviously you want yeah, to win, so. but you want to earn the win, and you want to have a good game while doing yes. so. And there's also a lot of understanding, like you know that your opponent is good at the game, you know that both you're going to play competitively, so there's no grudges or anything. It's just like no, it's it's the yeah. game. Of course, you make that decision. That's the smart move. Um, oh no, you got punished by dice, and then you comfort each other or whatever. And it's just, yeah, it's it's, it's yeah, it's, it's a really nice atmosphere. And one of the things too, like with the whole punishing of the dice, uh, one thing I found is because this the skill, like the skill uh, difference between the players is is it's razor thing. Like it's almost negligible uh, pretty much every matchup. That the games kind of weirdly come down to. Who can capitalize off a weird dice roll? Like suddenly, uh, a, a, like a, a model rolls a six on a jump test, and someone can swing in behind, and it's like, okay, who can react to that better? Or you know, uh, a key model that was holding a space just rolled a one off their off their thrown rider, dies, and now there's only a giant hole in the middle of your line, and it's like, okay, who can get into that gap? And it, it's just following up on these wacky interactions that are just just so out in the way. What you wouldn't normally expect in a game what normal players wouldn't expect and it's just with two top level players you just watch it suddenly chaos is thrown into the mix and it's just everyone pouncing on top of each other trying to like you know either abuse the dice roll that's happened or or, or patch it up as quickly as possible and 
that's what for me made the tournament like it just made the tournament atmosphere just completely different and the game's just so completely different from anything else i was i have ever experienced yeah yeah you definitely notice that um you don't even have to like hope or anticipate or try to mm. surprise the other player like they'll see your plays coming because the your, the plays that you're doing are the most logical plays and like the, statistically the best play that you should yeah. be doing with your army given the setup and the scenario. And it's not until like the lines clash and things get messy or dice do weird things where you get in these situations where you can try to like you know flip the script or try and surprise each other or whatever. But at the start, it kind mm -hmm. of it's almost like chess. Like you start with a certain amount of moves and yeah. it's like oh it's expected. You know like you just kind of react to each other and it's. I don't know. It also I found that the the starts of the games were usually pretty quickly because it was quite evident on, yeah. on like how you should deploy and what the the best thing to do is. So that was quite nice. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you'll find in tournaments where you have opponents that are really mulling anything over because they're not sure what to do against your list or you know in, in a given scenario. But with these players of of this kind of level, they've kind of seen it all. So they kind of instinctively yeah. know how to react to a certain situation and just kind of get on with it and make the mm. move and, and go forward so that, that's also really nice yeah 100 100 percent agree with that too and i think everyone there at the tournament too like to harken back to a point you made everyone there wanted to win their game because they were the better general mm -hmm. there wasn't any of that like weird kind of like trying to like stall out a draw or cheese a win it was like, no i want to win because i'm better than you and i think the fact that i think Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think anyone got less than two wins over the course of the tournament. Everyone got at least two wins. Everyone was taking games off everyone else. Throughout I the course think of the so, but I have to admit I didn't yeah. pay a lot of attention to the bottom tables, if yeah. I'm honest. But yeah, it, it's kind of wild when you play an event like that where every player can take you know, take a game off every other player. Yeah, and it, it's not you know a roll of the dice or yeah. a luck based thing it's yeah. straight up because like i mean I, you went undefeated during the event like you won it all mm. but i think there were at least two games that were really oh, close to yeah. losing yes <laughs> yes okay i can 100 percent say yes okay <laughs> there were some dicey moments where i had to like really come up with like hail marys and just crazy situations of just backing yourself with every opportunity to get out of a hole but yeah 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 as you'll find out in this upcoming game that it was it was this game was like on a knife edge yeah. like I, I don't know what's thinner than a knife edge or a razor edge but whatever that is that's what we're on yeah yeah basically all right let's let's set the scene a little bit for for our listeners and viewers so masters mm. event 18 players they all qualify by beating a lot of other players basically and winning a major event yeah. um we've done one day of games against top players from around the yes. world uh, we've both been undefeated so far we won all three of our games um so we face each other on at the start of day two and whoever of our game wins is the only person to go undefeated into the last two games it doesn't mean that you know that person automatically yeah. wins the event because they're you know they could still lose their next game and somebody else could you know go back over the top but it definitely sets you up for success so yeah it becomes your tournament to lose basically yeah it, it's yeah. really high stakes and it's not like um the main event at Articon where there's oaths or anything or like michael's event in belfast where vp differences tournament points no it's just win draw or loss and then after that it's tiebreakers so that's basically how the uh, the event is yeah. scored i think it's like 
five points yeah, for a win or something and yeah. three for a draw. It's like five, five, for, five for a win, two for a draw, zero for a loss, and then ties are broken by VP differential, and then after that, strength of schedule. So yep. it's it's every every victory point you get matters because everything's so close, and we called it at the start of the tournament. Like it is math. It will, well, before the LCQ threw in an extra two players when we had 16, it was mathematically possible for someone to win the tournament on four wins. And then yep. we worked out and going in, it was like, yeah, you can drop a game and still be fine going into this tournament and make a podium. And yeah, it was just honestly a bloodbath on pretty much every table, every round. And I know going into this one too, after coming off the three wins off day one, I was honestly, I don't think I've ever been more nervous to play a game than our game we had because we had been chatting during the course of the tournament a lot of like trading back and forth trading ideas and stuff so i was like i knew the quality of your play uh, you as a player and I, i'd been next to you a couple of games and i've seen what you've been doing i'm like i don't want to i don't want to deal with that i don't <laughs> want to deal with that that play of dragon emperor that's too spooky for me like so and it, then we drew and i'm like i was excited but nervous at the same time there's two energies mixing together then and, and then we got reconnoiter as our scenario and i'm like Oh mate, this is that. That's that was a very interesting scenario for us to get. Yes, yes. So let's walk back a little bit because you're taking a Sultan of Loria. Yeah. Um, could yes. you maybe tell tell the, our listeners and viewers the list? Yeah. So uh, I won't go too much into warband composition and exact uh, stuff. Uh, the list is out there for people to check. But the basic thing is, I have Muzga, Druzag, a Goblin Shaman, and an Orc Captain on work. Uh, there were four spiders in the list and two swamp bombs, as well as ten prowlers, uh, six trackers, uh, six spears in there as well. Uh, so goblin bowmen and I think three war riders on uh, with throwing spear and shield. So I had a lot to kind of like cover my bases and stuff. I could do a lot in a lot of different scenarios, and I have avenues to, to play through the game. But um, as we'll find out, uh, your composition of Dragon Emperor really, really put me up for the test. Like, it, I was pulling, having to pull stuff out of my bag I didn't even know I had. Yeah, yeah. So uh, interestingly, your your list has had uh, slightly less models than uh, Lucas' list, who mm. I played the day before. He had like 54, 56 models or something. I think your yeah, list. Yeah, I think it was like 52 40... or something. I think it was 52. 52. Okay, yeah. yeah, but you're in like low 40s, I think, with your list, right? Yeah, I think it was 42 or 43. I can't remember yeah. off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, but I had essentially favored taking more beasts than more goblins with, you know, bows and throwing weapons, um, simply because I, I valued the beasts and being able to change off the angle from where the enraged beast was coming from, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure if it helped me too much in this game. It did a little bit. Um, but yeah, as, as you'll see, as we go through the game, um, there were a lot of really tough decisions to have to make throughout the course of this game from, from both of us. Yeah. Yeah. So in my list, as Kyle already mentioned, uh, the Emperor Legion, the Emperor Brogear and a Captain without shield, uh, focusing on getting bodies. I think I have 36 models off the top of my head. Um, mm. and lots of acolytes and nine acolytes in total, all of axes, two cataphracts, one with drum, also both of axes, and then a whole bunch of black dragon pikemen and some regular yeah. pikes mixed in in the captain and Brogear's warband. Um, so yeah, I favor getting a captain over Ritabi on this point level to get some more bodies in to really make the yeah. most out of the Emperor boss. And in this scenario, and in most scenarios, honestly, I'm quite glad that I, I did because you really do need those bodies to try and, you know, maintain your opponent um mm. so uh you mentioned earlier that we've been chatting a lot um when i found out i had to play against you 
I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have <laughs> said so much and sh showed so much of my hand. But well, yeah. I, I will I will say just quickly, I am appreciative of those uh, little chats we have because I have changed my uh, US Nova uh, Nova Open list mm -hmm. to mimic some more of the style that you had. So I have picked up the captain basic basic with with nothing, just the two-handed acts, and I have picked up Brogear because. Yeah, you and Michael singing Brogius praise. I was like, all right, I gotta try this out. Tried it at Worcester, and I went, oh yeah. my god, Brogius is, is a fun shit. model. Brogius is he is the shit. He yeah, is the yeah, shit. Yeah. I, I stand corrected on that one. Uh, he's he's it's such a good offensive and defensive tool. Like just a tremor into an Emperor's combat when he's in trouble. It's it's just mm. really nice. And some people just don't see it coming. Like they'll get like. Uh, an enraged spider and a bat swarm into an emperor and then they think he's dead but then Brogir still can move and he's just like yeah nope and that just a turn wastes a turn and maybe even kills the spider if it takes a wound and then takes another wound from the enraged and it's just gone after that it's like it's yeah. so nice yeah. um but yeah um going into the game i was feeling excited for First off, I was really excited yeah. just to play the game, really looking forward to it. But I was also a bit hesitant because I n didn't like the scenario for this particular mm. matchup. Because mm. I do know that my force as a whole is more mobile. Because if, if we're trying to stick together, you're being slowed down by 5-inch move goblins, obviously. Uh, whereas yeah. my yeah. infantry can move 9 inches with the drum. And if I use some marches, I can move even faster if I want to. Um, but that's offset by the fact that you have spiders and bats, and especially the bats, there's no way I can stop them from getting off the board. Yeah. And if you only get one model off the board while I'm still like in the middle, that really puts the pressure on me to, you know, make a move or make a play or, or make something happen. And that's not a position I like being in. Like I, I like to be ahead yeah. so that I can control the way it flows. It's a thing that the things yeah. are very good at. I'm I'm exactly the same way with exactly the same thoughts and principles. Yeah, so my, my game plan going in was like, okay, I need to move up as quickly as I can. I need to start fighting as quick as I can and hope to break you so that stuff starts running away. And hopefully I can then also get models off of the board before you're quartered. Um, hopefully more, but maybe just enough to keep that limited to the three and then win it based on breaking and leader kills or something along those lines. That was basically mm. the general game plan I had. Like, I need to move forward as much as possible, tie up all of your infantry yeah. force so that only maybe your cavalry and bats and stuff can get off the board um yeah so that's kind of was kind of my general strategy going in what what did you have a game plan when we were deploying yeah and setting so up? um i i have a game plan that i i like to dip into a lot with reckon and this was the first time i've i've gone up against someone who actually was able to counter it in a fairly a fairly efficient macro manner so i'm not sure this is going to be a weird a weird little tangent but there's an old uh uh, fellowship journey book uh, scenario with the Dunedain fighting the Ringwraiths. And the Ringwraiths' job is to get off the board. Uh, is that the, the one where they try the to cross a river or something? Uh, the one before it. It's literally the scenario before it. I think it's the very first one. But the, the, the trick and one of the tricks we found in this scenario is you go the Wraiths right up to the board edges, draw them all the way to the sides and the, um, with the race on, on mobility, the, the Dunedain have to check it and then you rush through the middle. So you run into the middle and then straight down the guts. And that has worked a lot for me in Reconnoiter. It helped me win Reconnoiter uh, back home. It helped me win um, uh, the Reconnoiter I won in 2019 against the Norwegian uh, Norwegians to get myself through. And I was hoping to replicate the same kind of strategy because I had a captain with March. I had uh, wilds, bats, and spiders in my. 
uh, to kind of really abuse that that speed factor through the middle as well. And I, I figured, well, if I get you, yeah, you might be able to chase, but I have just enough positioning and better quality troops running to the board edge that's going to be harder for your drummed infantry to catch up and actually charge because you can't charge the turn you drum. So you can keep pace, but eventually there's going to be a turn where you have to not drum. And hopefully I can maybe one failed courage check here or there on a spider and I can sneak models through. Definitely get the bat off that way too. And yeah, then it's onus on me to hold the line and stop you from getting moves past. But uh, as we as we found as I found out, that was a little bit of a miscalculation on my part because your macro play afterwards, even though you had basically your acolytes and your captain within six inches of your board edge, my God, they can move. Yes, <laughs> yes, they can. We'll find that out in a minute. Um, so let, let's paint a picture of, of the battlefield. I think it was fairly symmetrical on my side in the middle. Mm. Uh, on my board edge there was a field with two walls next to it and then if we go towards yeah. the center of the board there was a massive street through the middle that was kind of open yeah. and with ruins on either side of it on one side the ruins were slightly larger and then kind of next to that ruin there was a forest so there was terrain basically throughout the entire center except for this massive street in the middle which was a, yeah. a big open space and then i think if i remember correctly towards your side of the board there was a forest in the middle or yeah so off. basically that street when it comes towards my side of the board uh goes into like a Y split and peers off to the side. Mm -hmm. So there was never, there was not any one point across the whole board where there was a straight line at, at the uh, opposing board edge. You had to veer at some point to get around terrain features. And that would, for me, that was the key linchpin for my strategy because you had to pick one side to go with the wood. Wherever the emperor went, he wasn't double backing on the other side of the wood. So I had to kind of like hedge my bets a little bit and make sure I guarded both sides and then hopefully get that refuse flank and smash into your other flank and, and get in and, and crack those lines and 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 stop you and hold you at the board edge, which was a much tougher ask than I, I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah, these things can punch through things if they really want to. Um, so mm. when the game started, I won priority and had to roll for my warbands first. I got quite lucky with the rolls. Every single warband came on without yes. having to spend might, which was quite a big deal. Uh, I put the Emperor and Brogir towards the left side of the field where there was a little bit more space and then the Captain Warband on the other side of the field to spread them out yeah. a little bit but everything was still within range of the drum so I could move everything up that, that extra speed. Uh, but I think, if I remember correctly, only like two of your Warbands came on without having to spend might or Yeah, I so I was, I was put in a really tough position because like, I'm mathing it out in my head and going, well, move on first turn six, then two turns of drum, that's 18, you're over the halfway line if you win priority and get the charge off you're going to be charging me very close to my board edge and if i don't get my warbands on now i could be in a really tough spot where you're fighting within say six inches of my six to ten inches of my board edge, rather than the 18 which i was kind of more planning to have so i bit the bullet i spent a point of might with uh shaman the shaman and uh drizag to get them on the board just to make sure that i could move up into this position because there was a tiny bit of a choke, but not a big choke uh, between kind of these ruins that we had on the table um, and the forest that I had. So I had to cover about eight to nine inches, uh, maybe a bit more, maybe up to a foot of, of space that if they were going to punch through, that's the spot that they were going to punch through because they're not going anywhere near the forest when their spiders are kind of anchoring them. So I figured it would be down the guts, down the middle, and I just had to get that gun line, that throwing weapon line set up ready to set and receive and hopefully crack you before you can punch through yeah so you did this really important thing where i always try to ham hammer on people like really think before deployment and like 
envision where are things going to clash yeah. what's the general game plan going to be and you calculated where i could end up after a certain amount of turns and that influences your decision on whether or not spending might is a good idea uh, so I think you definitely made the right call there because mm. if the if you hadn't 100%. done that and you came on a turn later, I think Drusak came on one turn later if I remember correctly because he was a little uh, yeah behind. Drusa, actually yeah I I did spend the might with Drusak but that was the next turn I spent it because I yeah. rolled terribly but the first turn I wasn't as worried because he predominantly had a bulk of spiders with him so he could catch up and actually reinforce the line and he had a lot of the spears in that warband too so they could meet up behind it yeah. yeah. Yep. Particularly for me, like doing the math in my head, I'm like, if if I'm five turns, five inches back, that's no longer, you know, an eight, nine inch choke. That's now between the wood and the board edge, which is nearly two foot. And two foot is much harder to defend against than a, a one foot choke. Yep. So I knew I had the model count and, and the resources at that point to, to hold a, a one foot choke so long as I could get the rest of my stuff moving and in position and maybe even do some shenanigans where I have to pull pull your models back to check my models going off the table, which kind of worked for me and kind of didn't as well as we'll kind of like discuss in a moment. But yeah. yeah. Knowing and being able to pick where on the battlefield the fight's going to be and who has the initiative to dictate where that fight is going to be is a, is a big skill to learn. And thankfully for me, it was a skill I have learned because I, I accurately predicted where that fight was going to be. Yep. And I, I basically saw what you were doing. I was like, okay, I'll bite. Um, this is what the Eastlings do, right? They they go somewhere and yeah. they fight. Uh, so it's like I'm gonna do it. So basically, what happened in the first few turns is um, I moved the Emperor's warband and the Brogir's extra forces up, uh, not quite through the middle. I I decided to go through the ruins with uh, most of the force and a few infantry off to the side. So that was I think that took two three turns. But in the meantime, we had a very yeah. interesting game of cat and mouse happening on the other side of the board in the yes. smaller ruins, where you had moved your captain with two, three other warg riders, a spider or two, and a bat, I think, um, yes. off into the runes. And I had, had decided to, instead of moving the captain up with the rest of the Eastlings, to try and play this cat and mouse game and stop you from at least immediately running off the border with these troops. Because yeah. I really didn't want to be in that position where, you know, on turn two or three or whatever, I'm already a few models down. Um, so we were doing this skirmish thing where, because I had the drum, I kind of had the same amount of mobility and could always mm. get into a position where I could threaten to charge the turn afterwards if you moved wrongly. And also, I think Acolyte's got some clutch throwing daggers on the single warg rider and just killed him. Yeah, I got I got one warg rider within range of the board edge. And if I had priority next turn, he's off. Um, yeah. uh, regardless of whether he got dismounted or what. So long as there was a warg or uh, an, uh, 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 an orc there, he was off next turn. And yeah, the two acolytes that went, well, they're on the move, they're fives to hit, and they hit, killed the warg, and then the warg rider rolled on one and broke his neck on the floor. Oh yeah, I thought the warg rider away, was but like, it was the other way around. Oh my god, I was just like, I was I was cacking myself, because I let you roll the wound roll, I'm like, I should have rolled it, I was rolling terrible at that point. And I was just like, oh damn, that was all my pressure. Yeah. And that's, that's how those, most of that force got within six inches of the back of the edge of the board, uh, was because that one warg rider, because I, I decided to kind of like, hedged my bets. I went deep with one warg rider knowing he'd be hit, but I, there was a chance of the next turn's priority, you know, I'd be in the position to, to sneak, sneak a guy off. And I, I think you had priority at that point. So I had a slightly better odds to get it on my turn next turn. And I backed off the captain figuring, well, what do you do? Do you check the main force and let one guy go off a guy that you probably can stop? Or do you check the main, the guy that's about to go off and then let the, um, 
uh, let the war griders and uh, bats and spiders uh, position and yeah you got those 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 clutch throwing weapons playing to your outs and it was yeah uh, I, I, when i saw that I went yeah yeah well played well yep. played good 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 check and counter yeah there. yeah well it really helped uh, there is also that, that plus one to wound right because the orcs don't have the night mm. vision so you know it also hurts you that the fact that i have throwing daggers and can yeah. just murder you in force which was really nice <laughs> <laughs> that, and it came in because that's that's what got the war kill was that was that that clutch four too yeah. and yeah that that play on the on that whole thing and I think too the captain going with that group I think if there was anything that was going to win you the game that was the play that was the macro decision that you made to hold the captain back to keep them going yeah. and giving them moves because I, I figured that if I didn't do that then there's no point at all to having the picket line because you can just run mm -hmm. up to me on a turn that you lose priority uh, and then next turn with your captain call a move and there's nothing I can do about it so then there's yeah. no point whatsoever in having a picket line so I need that captain there uh, and then in the back of my head I was always like uh, this is probably a losing proposition but I need to st stall for time and then when you get past me which you'll inevitably will I'll just use the captain's might to move uh, up mm. across the board and uh, you know join the emperor or join the fight that way or whatever so I think yeah and yeah go ahead yeah go on oh I was just going to say uh, that was the mistake that I made was miscalculating uh, how quickly you were going to be breaking from my board edge with uh, the um, the captain because I had basically gone right cool you're out of the game now you're basically on your edge of the board um, within six inches it's going to take you forever and a day to get back like yeah the drum march was going to be quick um, 12 inches a turn that's massive that's two turns right there with the might points and the drum that you're able to match on the board but i figured you know me calling a march going down the gut which is exactly what i i said earlier which was my plan i'd be able to get my models off and then what i kind of miscalculated a little bit was that essentially put me on a clock and it meant i had to get you courted which i was at this point a little confident i could possibly do because you know had i was winning the main fight and we'll go into what was going on in the main fight in a second but um i thought yeah Five turns, four turns, that's going to be enough for me to win this game. It doesn't matter if a couple of those guys, guys get off. If I get all my war riders, my captain, the bat, and a couple of spiders, that that, that won't matter because, like, you know, I'll, I'll be off first and they'll come off and drip and jabs. But, yeah, that put a clock on the game for me, and that clock was massive because it really forced me to make aggressive decisions that probably didn't favor me as much as being able to play, play it slow. Yeah, so I will say that what you did really well is that you didn't rush your models off immediately. You did take the time to dismount the uh, ward riders mm. to try and get the works as well, which fortunately you did pass. I think every single courage test for the works. Every single there. one. So that yeah, an I think, extra three models off. Yeah, big. in the end you got eight models off. Seven? No, seven. You got seven, seven. models seven. off uh, over there, and I had three pikemen that had kind of chased you that way and in the end they managed to stop a single spider from go going off which all the way towards the end of the game which will yeah. matter later uh so mm. we'll remember that uh, in the meantime in the main fight um i had moved into you on turn i think that i lost priority um so you yes. got some throwing daggers and some shots off i think i lost like two acolytes or something along those lines yeah i, I picked off bad. i think i picked up like a guy and a couple of acolytes um wasn't too bad i i 
I think the big thing for me is I focused on the right side of your battle line, mm -hmm. which was the side where you had the more opportunity to like slip a guy through and break through because that was where the weakest. So I focused on the side that was the weak point and made sure that your core around the Emperor had to go through the nitty gritty, the meat of all the goblins. Yeah. So and then the following turn, I had priority and I was in charge range. Uh, and this is why I think I made the, the, the main mistake that I made during mm. the game. Um, I did charge with the Emperor and all the Acolytes and stuff around the Emperor, but I also had another group that went around the runes and were a little bit further back. The nine-man pike block. The nine-nine pike block in a nice three-by-three formation, and they were just barely in charge range of your um, trackers. And behind your trackers, trackers. you had Druzog yeah. and uh, a bunch of... Uh, no, Muskur. Muska. I always mix those two up, Muskur, and a bunch of spearmen and, and banner and things like that. So it's like, well, I mean, I, I kind of have to charge now, because if I don't, you're going to shoot at me. But I think what I should have done was just make a line and make make it so that you could charge me if you wanted to, but at least it would have been not as unfavorable. So what happened instead is mm. I charged you with this perfect 3 by 3 pike block because that's all the movement I had. It was like just 6 inches. Mm. And then you just wrapped around me and trapped every single thing. And I was like, okay, yeah. this is bad, but I have the higher fight value for in most of these fights, and I still am in range of, the, of a banner with the Emperor, so if I shield and I just buy some time, it should be fine. Mm. Um, but instead, <laughs> I had a, a, a disastrous <laughs> round of combat. Oopsie, oopsie, yeah, right? I, and I think, too, uh, the big part was the Emperor was out of range for his banner reroll on most of these combats. And I had my banner there because that's where Muzgar was. The Muzgar, the banner came with Muzgar. So no, was he was, he was to, out of range for the fight buff, but he was definitely in range for the banner reroll. It just didn't matter. because Not, not all of them. Not on the far left. Really? The far, it was like half and half. Yeah, it was half and ah, half. Okay. And I, I kind of looked at that and went, well, there's a kind of a little weak point on this corner, and I like went, I need to I need to get kills on these guys as quickly as possible. So I called the heroic combat with Mosgar, um, threw a transfix over at the Emperor that just knocked off some will and stuff, and then really forced in to make sure that every combat in that little block, except for one, was a two to one in my favor. So I had the plus one to wound going, and that plus one to wound, or oh, that came in clutch in those fights. Yeah. It was. It was a bloodbath. I killed six of the nine in the first round of combat. And this, I think, was another point where I made a slight macro, like, poor macro decision-making, which was I took the foot off the pedal a little bit. I, I saw six kills go down, and I'm like, yeah, cool. I can start dispersing. I started pulling models away from the combats, figuring, yeah, I can just leave, you know, half the squad here to clean up these three Eastlings and those three Eastlings. I survived so bloody long just shielding and I, I shouldn't have I should have kept Musgar there I should have kept that fight going and kept making sure I ensured the kill ensured the kill because yeah. you weren't winning the combats on sixes you're winning them on fours and fives and just because I just couldn't chase in and yeah that that cost me I, th I think a lot of um tempo that I had bought myself so all this tempo that I bought myself running my guys off the middle cutting through the middle and then off I basically squandered by not essentially kicking you while you were down yep you should have because like that first round of combat it also went really poorly near the emperor i just rolled like garbage uh so yeah. i think in the first round of combat in total i lost nine models which is almost unheard of yeah. for Easterlings, especially against just it was a, a lot to an it. assault on the and then, force yeah and then to add insult to injury too the next turn i won the heroic move off yes and i got three four throwing weapon kills on the way in with the prowlers and it was just like it was it was it was one like solid hit to the gut and then just a haymaker to the face and it, I I saw your face that was actually I think that was the turn 
where you had this look of bewilderment on you. And I think I asked you, do you need two minutes to look at the table? And this this is where the comeback started because yeah. you, you said yes. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, man. I walked away from the table for two minutes and you're just standing there, you know, two minutes back at the table looking at it. And I, I really want to hear your thoughts because uh, we briefly chatted about it, but not really went into that. Yeah. So so for the, for the listeners, um, at the Masters, there's a little uh, bar where there's like coffee and water and, and everything. So it, it, during a game, you can go grab some stuff. So Kylie went off to do that. And I just took it, literally took a few steps back and looked at the, the board from like a different angle. And I was like, okay, so what is realistically going to happen here? I counted the models. I was like, okay, I going to get eight models off. And there's probably not much I can do about it. I think at that point, I still had those three pikemen contesting some of them. So it was like, maybe it'll be yeah. seven but probably is going to be eight, something along those lines. And like my picket line is going to move to the board edge. How many can get it off? Well, actually, maybe I can get like six from that group or something. So we're getting mm. close. And I was like, okay, so the only thing that I can try and do is punch a hole with the emperor, but I need to dismount because I need the models. So I need to yeah. fight something. I need to kill something while calling heroic combat, uh, dismount as part of the heroic combat so that next turn the dismounts can move. And then as part of the hero combat, kill more stuff to make a hole and then still have might left over to call a move with the Emperor. And at that point, I don't think the Emperor had spent any might yet because Brogy had been calling the moves. So he had three might yeah. to do it. So yeah. um, that's basically also what happened during the games. It's like on the one side of the board, we have these acolytes, the captain and the cataphract drummer that are still moving up the board. And you moved some of your forces that had previously slaughtered that little pike block off to the side to try and stop some of them. Um, so some of those were fighting, but the others were going to get off the board, and there was not much you could do about that because you simply didn't no. have the mobility on that side of the board. There was mm -hmm. a risk that I could actually get a leader wound there, depending on if I chose to engage uh, Musgur rather than running off the board, but I made the decision to try and run as much off the board as possible. Yeah. Um, simply because... Which I think, I think at that point was the correct play, but as we'll go into foresight, not knowing what was going to happen in the next three, four turns, maybe chasing the leader win might have been important. Well, I mean, it turns out it was really important, but mm. it, it shouldn't have yeah. been, basically. Because yes, um, yes. at this point, also, I, I was definitely going to get broken, if not already broken. It, it was like yeah, really I think, close. I think you were like one or two off, and it was like, it was, some of the fights too were still like, there was three those those three models in the middle that had been fine time, but they were still trapped, surrounded, and outnumbered, you know, you know, two, two, two to three, three to one yep. kind of yep. deal. So they, they were on a clock of, yeah, they're buying time, but they're going to die. Yep. And there was still the main fight too, where, you know, I could sneak a model and I had spider stuff and, and that left there. So you, you were going to get broken. It was just a matter of when, and yeah, this this heroic combat. I think you threw an enchanted blades on the emperor too, um, to pull it off. Oh, I might to, have, to yeah. Too short, yeah, I too sure. So. Uh, yeah, and you got the six off it too, which I got really annoyed about um, on, on on the refund because I was like, oh damn it, that's another blade wrath or another tremor that's coming down. Brogy's still on his one more point. Um, so I'm I'm looking at that going because you, you called the blade wrath. I'm like, oh, he's going for a heroic combat. I threw what was left of the kitchen sink. Um, uh, at you, to, and then you, yeah, you just resisted the first transfix, was used the point might to resist the second one, and yeah, that's luckily got the, that second might point off that resist because I mean, you were committed at that point, the blade wrath was in there, you wanted that heroic combat, and there wasn't much I could do really to stop it because at that point, yeah, I'd done really well killing the models, but like I said, I didn't have a lot of goblins from the onset to hold that line, so 
I was kind of down to, you know, scraping the barrel. So the best I could do was move Drizak out of the way, try and block some space with a, with a, with a bat swarm and hope. Yeah. So my problem at that point was that you were also really far off breaking. And breaking VPs are pretty significant in uh, mm. recon. Um, and this is an unusual spot for me to be in, because usually when I fight Assault on the Florian, like, I'll break them. That's not really a, a question, because uh, it's a fragile army. Like, things are going to yeah. die on both sides. Yeah, um, that's one of the things I like about Assault on the Florian is you get hit really hard, but you hit really hard back, so things just die really quickly on yeah. both sides of the table. Yeah, but because the first round of combat went so abysmal, I actually had a really hard time breaking you. So at this point, I'm like, uh, maybe actually the game plan is to quarter myself and get a more models off the board. Yeah. And then if my leader doesn't die uh, or take a wound, we'll just have a draw. You know, I I get more models, that's three VPs. You break me without being broken, that's three VPs. Then there's just a 3-3 three, three draw. Mm. And I, I can live with that, with how awful the dice went. Um, but as it turns out, uh, that didn't quite happen. Um, <laughs> so... I did get broken, I didn't manage to quarter myself quickly enough, but I did get uh, quite a few models off of the board. Um, but before that happened, you had put a single Prowler in throwing dagger range the Emperor as he was running away, le prowler. leading his guys. And I still had a single my point left because I figured I need this my point because I need to do a heroic move if I yeah. lose priority to get these guys off the board guaranteed and not get tied up again. Because there was still a bad swarm, I think, lurking around and you had a few yeah. models in charge range. So uh, you still had enough stuff there to tie me up. And maybe I would have been able to get off the board a turn after that. But I was like, I need to mm. say this is my point. So you throw a dagger, you hit, you wound, and then I fail every single fate point, all three of them. And the last, and, and... last one was a three. So I have to make yeah. this choice. Do I spend the the might to prevent the leader wound. I'm like, well, I guess I don't because I need to get these models off the board. Uh, mm. But as it turns out, um, when the dust settles, I have more models off the board. You break me and I'm still one or two off breaking you. Uh, yeah. And I have a leader wound, which means you actually win the game based on the single leader wound. And I did the math later and I, it's like less than a percent chance. Yes. You hitting and wounding and me failing all three fate in a row. It's just, yeah, and that one, that that one, like to hit into wound two, the the army brothers didn't come into a, into effect. It was a straight six to hit, yep, six to wound, yep. Roll your dice, yep. And yeah, that that hero prowler, like I still know which prowler it is, and he is forever known as as the Emperor Slayer. Well, he didn't die. Just that took a wound. <laughs> well, he likes to think he killed the emperor. <laughs> you know, goblins of inflated ego. You know, he, he saw his dagger through, drew a blood, and he's like, yeah, that's a kill. Um, not knowing, of course, it's the Emperor and he's you know, got wearing armor and has a lot more than just, you know, what the one wound. But yeah, that I, I would not want to be in that decision of like, do you use the might? Because the might is guaranteed getting models off the board next turn. And most importantly, making sure you have that battlefield wide standfast that was yes. so clutch. Because you taking courage tests on that last turn with every one of your models that close to the board edge. There is there is a non insignificant amount of chance that you don't get the models that you need to get off the board, and as much as it pains, I think the might point being saved to guarantee the models going off the board next turn was the correct play because that stand fast was that was everything because that that helped the the far left flank where the, the captain and the drum had just drummed and marched all these models up the board and put the game on a time limit essentially, and that stand fast was what got half a dozen, well, maybe not half a dozen, I think it was like three or four of those acolytes and the drum 
off the board to get that that ball yeah. rolling for you and getting and that that numbers it also meant that the pikeman that was holding back the one spider all the way on my side of the board also yeah. passed carriage test and they still passed the carriage test in order to charge the spider but you know it's it's one less test that you have to uh, have to take yeah. so that also really helped on that side of the, the board yeah so yeah no I, I do stand by a decision not to use them my point but it's so annoying that i had to mm. be in that position in the first place um because that ultimately made you win the game i mean there's obviously a, a lot more yeah. that contributes to, to all of that uh, also the yeah. disastrous first round of combat and things like that yeah and, but, and i think yeah. too it was, it was i was really impressed because uh, I, I stole this trick for the the main event later um was your dismounting off the right combat to get extra models because what that also did was it buffered out your quarter point because at that point i wasn't that many models off quartering i was like four or five models from getting you to quarter and i had i think i verbally said how many are you from quarter to end the game and then you said x amount and then you dismounted that turn i'm like oh no that's so many more models now that i need to kill i don't think i've got the i don't think i've got the, the gas in the tank to kill 11 models now instead of what would have been you know four or five that, that's that's a world of difference particularly at that point my army is spread out because you know we've clashed lines we're running models off the bet off the board everything it's, it's just skirmishes everywhere so being in that position i was like damage control mode okay what can i do what can i do all right let's send the remainder of my spiders running to the board edge let's really make a pr pressure and those three pikemen that we talked about were clutch because they were able to pass the courage test on the turn you want priority and get in front of a spider and win the combat they didn't kill the spider i think they put him on one wounds but specifically just the act of getting in front of the spider was just enough to stop the spider from being able to skirt around and get on the board edge and that could have been the game-winning play if if the last round of combats had it gone your way. Yeah, yeah, basically, because like, and when it does settle, you were like one or two models off of breaking as well, and and that's another thing that people underestimate from dismounting the emperor. If it's a really really late game, dismounting the emperor actually gives you more killing power than keeping yeah. him on his feet and giving like the fight and banner bonus. Sometimes just having more models uh, is, is better. It's getting yeah. traps or getting I mean, you know making yeah. more even fights. To, to quote Jeremy, the most powerful thing in the game is a single model on a 25 metal base. And Basically. I think this game was 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 a very good indicator of that because those 25 mil bases, not only were they like body blocking for the Emperor and stuff, but they were the models that were getting off the board. And yeah, into the last turn, it, it meant you had more chances to try and win that fight. And I think you, going into the last turn, I needed you needed to kill like uh, 22 to break me, and I was 20 square, and it was every combat mattered and we knew we were going to run out of time and it was kind of at that point too where the result was sort of kind of already like even if we had a kept playing out it, it could have swung either way still but it, it came down to this turn worth of combat because if we played another turn i could get the model off to, to equal out the thing and uh you could have got the break so yeah these last round of combats were massive and you started off well the acolyte went in got that kill that he needed so it made you one but every other combat after that I don't think you're on five and four. Nope. Nope. It was like the first round of combat all over again. Like I, I, I couldn't mm. win anything to save my life. Um, so it's a really disappointing feeling that like I can't even break assault on Lorian. Like what's going on? Yeah. Like that just tells Particularly you. Particularly my assault on Lorian too, which had a much lower model count than most right? assault on Lorians do have. Like it's not that hard to kill twenty odd goblins mm. and orcs, especially not when you have 
basically the Emperor Legion to do it, and you only need fives to wound most of these things, and you have higher fight yeah. value, and you have banner rerolls coming out of your ass. Like, you should be winning uh, most of these fights and wounding, uh, but it just wasn't happening. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed the game. Like, it was it was tactical basically from, like, turn yeah. two or three uh, when the skirmish started. I wouldn't even like say the... two turn three. I, I think it was tactical and strategic from turn one, because... You know, I was in that position of having to throw my points down. You're in the position of where Absolutely. my warbands come on and, and contest which parts of the board. So I think it, it's very rare where you get a game where the overall arching strategy is so important and the, the tactical, nuanced, little micro-rules interactions like the dismounting of the Emperor and the and, and like the, the shenanigans with like Musgar resetting Will and, and, and things like that. Those tiny little things, every little advantage that could be played in this scenario that both sides had were played and i think just about every single special rule in this game was used in some way shape or form i think and the that, only that one was what one wasn't used no two actually no one because uh, i did use the acolyte rule of, of like going over a thing on a four plus and still being able to charge because i could use that yeah. to charge druzak i think at some point it was Musgar. Musgar. It, was, it was when you had the one attempt at Musgar. right yeah that and didn't then work. yeah Musgar won the combat and uh, yeah, yeah him but, but I don't think the only thing that didn't come up was acolytes not going pro on a four plus because I don't think ever yeah. an acolyte was charged by a walk rider. But I would argue that it did have an effect on the game because that was part of the reason why I didn't commit the captain and the walk riders up that flank was because mm -hmm. you had six six acolytes and I was like I don't know if I can crack through with the with them not being knocked down because I was relying heavily on the knockdown to create space and create a basically a point where i run in knock down and now i've got that corridor where you can't quite reach anymore because you only got a three inch move so that was what just dissuading me from going in in the first place so yeah. well yeah. i mean you can still try it because you still wound on fours and two dice to wound on fours is still 75 percent chance to kill something mm. but you know it's not as sure a fire as four dice to yeah wound, then it's prone you know yeah so yeah uh, but the, i think also the main thing there is that i'm higher fight other than your yeah. captain um and i have two dice versus your two dice so it's it's a hairy prospect to begin it's, with yeah it's 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 and I only at that because i had marched to pull you kind of in that out of position uh moment to begin with so i was down one mic to two so going for that roll off like if i had two roll offs in me i would probably take the i'd probably take that gambit on the road edge but with only one roll off and one chance at glory like I learned my lesson in 2018. Don't put the game on a 50-50. Nope. So I was like, nah, I'll, I'll I'll play strategy out of this. And I think I think you called my bluff on that on that strategy because the macro on that flank with the marching down the flank and stuff like that. Yeah. I think was was overall your game plan was just that fraction bit better than what I had. That my dice rolling was just that fraction a little bit better than your overall game plan. And that was, but again, that's what the game came down to was just a few pips here and there. That's what that's what ended the game. That that one throwing weapon kill, those those couple of extra combats where I got the kill, those couple of extra combats where you didn't get the kill. Yeah. And I, I don't think I've ever in my entire life had a game that close. Yeah. Because that was it, it, down it was, to the wire. Doesn't even really, describe how close it was. I I, I will be hard pressed to have a better game anytime soon. I think mm. it, it's mm. it was just definitely. I wish we recorded it honestly. Yeah, um, I wish maybe, that was on stream. To be honest. Maybe yeah. maybe next year I'll bring like a, a setup where I can like do a top down recording of the board, so that you at least have some footage that you can do a voiceover yeah. of or something. But that was yeah, really good. Like the only thing I would change of my game plan, I think, is not charging in the the three by three pike block 
and just yeah moving it kind of in your face but in such a way that you can charge me but not at least completely surround me wrap mm. around me and maybe stay within 12 the emperor but other than that I, I still stand by all of the decisions i made especially considering how poorly it went from the start and mm. having to switch gears and go for like plan d yeah because i i don't know about you but i was i was i was cycling through plans pretty quick as well i think i got up to plan uh, e or f <laughs> um at, at that point there was a few times where i had to like switch macro modes like after like the the like uh, for me i think it was a little bit different because yours was more damage control switching and mine was more oh shit i'm killing so fast i wasn't expecting to be this in this position this position this turn so i was in these weird moments where i'm like got the advantage what do i do with it and i, I don't think i quite capitalize as well as i probably should have off some of those advantage which i think opened the door for you to to have a real crack at winning the game which you took with everything you had which was yeah really impressive to say and just yeah because I, yeah, I think i'm going to be remembering this game for a while i think you not not sure there's that much you could have done differently because if you throw more emperors or sorry more models at the emperor uh i'll just kill more stuff and you run a very real yeah. risk of breaking because the emperor is just not going down to just a few things like you definitely need a spider yeah, and, and a bat swarm you, in into the emperor in order to have a shot and with and you were wisely around, boxing that out and making sure you were in the position where you had peel and yes it was going to be a, a monumental task for me to get that off and I needed my spiders to do other things like run for the objective, uh, guard up flanks, and, and just be a, just a general threat. I think the only thing macro-wise that I think I would have done differently is when the captain went for his march for the board edge, I didn't commit um, the spiders to that march as well, or maybe didn't commit the walk riders. Maybe only send a few of those models for the board edge and kept some back because I desperately need, needed even just one spider to or one bat to, to, to like check those acolytes and just have that extra tanky model to be a threat, maybe get a kill or two, and just slow you down that extra turn or two that I desperately, desperately yeah. needed to slow so, you down with. I think what you could have done, um, at some point you had a bat swarm on the small rune near the mm. captain, right? When the little cat and mouse game was going on. I think on a turn that you lost priority, you should have just flown that bat forward to a spot where I can't charge it the next turn and then just get it off the board and have one model off the board. And then I'm yeah. in that situation where you no longer uh, have to put pressure on me because the pressure is already on. You're winning at that point. Yeah. And then the captain wallband, the spiders, the wallgrise, etc. They can spend the rest of the game harassing uh, my warband, or going back to the Emperor side of things, help kill there, and then swing back maybe on time, but that's a very big risk considering how fast yeah. I can be with the March and Drum. But maybe uh, having that warband putting the pressure on me to, to move forward, because if I don't spend the mm. bite on the marches, I'm, I'm slower, I'm only moving 9 inches with those guys, and maybe that buys you enough time to then reinforce over there with a spider, get some enraged mm. beasts, may, maybe that way kill some acolytes, thin that warband out enough that you can stop me from getting more models off the board, but it is a very big risk, because if I do get yeah. only two models and off think, the board, then the pressure's yeah. on you again. Yeah, because it's interesting you say that too, because I'm not sure if you thought of it, but I was really worried about being top on the ruin because I didn't want to get stuck there. Um, I was hyper, hyper, hyper aware of the, the the plus two on the jump test and the climb test, and I was super worried because you did have some acolytes in sort of range of like, well, if you get a couple of strings of priority in favor, acolyte goes up there, pins the bat, and like, yeah, I'm probably not going to die on the first turn or two, but with the might getting in range and just the move, move, move. 
you would have eventually um, just pinned and killed it. But I suppose you would be trading your might for that, which would have then given me the opportunity to be proactive back at you, which I think was the, the next level of thinking I didn't quite jump to of like, okay, if he stops and spends the resources to stop the bat, where does that lead me in yeah. game position rather than the problem as well? No, I don't want to do that. With, with that is that the acolytes do get the plus two on their climbing stuff, but climbing is still considered difficult terrain. Mm. And that rune is, I think, two inches high at least. So that's it's four. It's two and a half. Yeah, so that's five inches of movement. So I need to be within one inch of the base of the rune to even be able to charge the bat. And yeah. that's only if I roll a four plus. So it's a pretty tall yeah. order to accomplish. Yeah, I think I was more worried about you just moving, getting up on one turn and then being able to charge the next. Right. I wasn't so much worried about the charge on the turn, on that specific turn. It was the the next two, three turns down the ride when you had the, the, the might points to call the moves to force the charge that I was getting a little bit worried and... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think definitely if I if I, I had a chance to replay like that portion of the board, I would definitely uh, be a little bit more elusive with the bat and a bit more clever with the spiders and the terrain because I think the spider and the bat, especially around that field and that difficult terrain and the walls and the bat that was swarming out to fly up top, there was definitely options for me to be able to navigate around the acolytes and around the captain at least, at the very least, by time, by tempo, slow you down, force you to develop models that way, and then have the captain make his mad sprint to war riders. And, I mean, as we found out, I passed two courage tests on the board edge, so that's, some, you know, another five, six models off the board. Yep. So that could have been enough, and I still would have kept the, the beast around to, to maybe hit back later. Yeah, yeah. No, it, was, it definitely is a very, very interesting game. Very few things that we could have or would have done differently. I think it's just... Mm. Yeah, reacting to how dice rolls play out in, in some crucial turns mm. and yeah. Yeah, because I'm 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 convinced if we played that game another nine times, it would the score would end up you know four two four, like we, we would just butt heads and, and it would just be a straight up you know well done skill matchup draw kind of a deal. Um, and I just got a little bit lucky, quite literally, uh, where the dice just said I'll give you a couple of extra pips where you need it and you can take the win so yeah uh it's yeah this this was an amazing game and i'll be thinking about this for a long time yet and reviewing and reflecting and honestly be using it as a teaching tool for a lot of my padawans because there is a lot to be learned from this game and particularly once i've like drawn it out and stuff too i think a lot of players are going to learn a lot too because mm -hmm. yeah i think that'll be something really good for for later in the work once i'm back home yeah well, happy to hear that. Happy I gave you a, a very tough matchup. <laughs> you gave me the toughest matchup of my entire career. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's nice to hear. Yeah, like, yeah, that was, yeah, I can only think of one other game that was that sweaty and hard, and that was the, the semi-final against um, uh, uh, Anarian um, in 2019. That's the only game that's pushed me that, that much and that sweaty, and I still think that this game just got over it in terms of of, of sweatiness because that game was more just about punching each other in lords of battle this one was strategic tactical and who's willing to take 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 the risks take yeah. take the the help the the, the 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 long odds to get a lead and yeah yeah no, it, it was absolutely fantastic i think it's the hardest game i've played as well it's it's really made me appreciate uh recon more because i used to think this is kind of like a, a scenario where you know mm. the army with more mobility usually wins um but now i'm like oh no, no this was actually if, if recon can give me games like this i'll, I'll, I'll play it more 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's. Yeah, I knew. I I had a feeling this game going in because you had the drum, I had the the bass, and the mobility through terrain. I knew this game was going to be a like a straight up skill matchup. I didn't realize it was going to be this much of a skill matchup. So yeah, I'm I'm really really interested to see and hear other people's thoughts about how they went in the similar matchups against similar with similar armies because I think it would be really interesting to see how other people navigate the fights and what other tools they may maybe take instead to see how they can uh, change up the game because i yeah. think Utabi would have made this game very different and i think ashrak would have made this game very different and it's interesting that we neither of us took them and i'd be interested to see how those two models in place of something else would have changed how the game went out i don't think if i had taken Utabi, this would have been worse um because mm. that's 60 points of models that i lose that's yeah, that's too many of... that's too many bodies. Yeah, like I I either have yeah. to like downgrade a whole bunch of acolytes, and still lose some models, or I have to lose like seven models, or something, yeah. uh, in order to get her. It's just it's not worth it, especially not recon where every model counts. Because if I don't have the mm. acolytes, I don't have as much skirmish potential on a throwing dagger threat, uh, especially in Clash by Moonlight rules for as that as yeah. the Lorian brings. Yeah. Um, and then if I do take some acolytes, but instead lose seven. Pikes. I'm like, I mean, come on, what am I gonna do? Like, I would never have had enough yeah. models to, you know, kind of check here's, what you're doing. Here's a question for you: Would you ever consider um, downgrading a couple of acolytes to pick up some more uh, horses? Um, no. <laughs> mm, interesting. Um, I, interesting. In, in Belfast, I had uh, five cataphracts in total in my 800 point list, and I felt I never needed all five of them. Uh, I usually uh. only really need three or four, um, and I'm like, yeah, two is a little bit on the low side, but I'd rather have the acolytes over the cataphracts because the acolytes are consistently good, and the cataphracts are only good if you manage to charge. And sure, the cataphracts have 10-inch movement, but if you use the drum smart enough, any random pikeman has 9-inch movement. So mm. you, you don't need the cavalry in order to threaten like random objectives or whatever. You just send the drummer off that way with a buddy or two, and you still... You're still good. Interesting you're saying that because now you're making me want to think about tweaking my uh, my uh, my Novacon list again just to maybe drop some cataphracts and pick yeah. up some more guys. Well, like I will say <laughs> that cataphracts of axes on the charge near the Emperor are absolute murder houses against defense six lists because they just charge into some stuff. Yeah. They roll the six, they win, they knock stuff down, and they need fives to wound when throwing four dice around. So. Yeah. They do work for relatively cheap as well, because there's only 15 points uh, in a, the Emperor's Warband, or 17 points outside of it. Um, and they they fill a large gap, right? So you can also use them to plug a yeah. hole or something that, that uh, exists. But usually your game plan involves massive pike ranks to, like through sheer weight of dice, yeah. reliably win fights, and then grind out that way. And in my playstyle was ideally with Acolytes in front of Axis, so you still have that killing power. And then you have four dice to win a combat, five with the reroll at higher fight value, and you should be basically yeah. winning every fight. Um, so then I don't really need the Cataphracts. It's like, what what yeah. am I going to use them for? At least That's around fair. the Emperor. So you only need them on the flanks, but if you're on the flanks, then you know the single drummer, which I will never throw into combat until I no longer need the mobility... Um, already does it enough. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting thought. I might, uh, I might, might have another relook at my nova list again. Yeah. Try and squeeze out like, some extra money because I'm 
come I, packing like five cataphracts or something like that. So you're like, making me think maybe I don't pack that many. I, it's also a preference thing because I don't think cataphracts are bad necessarily. Mm. I just pref don't feel like I need them and I can use the points for acolytes or just more bodies instead. Um, I will say though that if the yeah. drum was like smaller range, like six inch bubble or something, I'd definitely take more cataphracts. Yeah. Uh, but because the drum is like this huge 12 inch thing, you can have these turns where it's like, um, your main force is now engaging, your drummer is still at the back, but it still hits some guys over here, it still hits some guys on the other flank, you're drumming, you move both of them nine inches up, and then the drum goes with one of the two groups, but you've now achieved the mobility that you need to achieve, and then yeah. uh, it can move forward. So I've had um, opponents at Articon comment on my drum positioning, that they thought it was what I was doing was silly, but very effective. Because I, I will do things where it's like, oh, uh, the lines are about to clash. I'm going to move my drum here, where he's exactly in the spot where he'll, he'll hit uh, the back rank and bro gear, but he'll not hit the front rank, and he'll hit these guys over here that aren't in charge range yet. And it looks really weird having this guy go all the way behind yeah. the army, right? Because like he's supposed to be supporting them or whatever, but he's like all the way back there just banging his drum and waving, like, come on, guys, you can do it. <laughs> but it's just the thing that's, that's most effective. And... Mm. Having that nine-inch movement on your back rank uh, can be very surprising to your opponent as well yeah. because you can psych them out. You're just like, oh, my front rank's charging, but my back rank's just, you know, fucking off around the building, and suddenly he's on, on in your flank, and they're like, oh, yeah. uh, oh, I didn't see that coming. I'm like, yeah, surprise. Or Broger will just do his thing where it's like, uh, you part the lines, you make a gap for Broger. Broger moves nine inches forward, six-inch tremor. That's a 15-inch threat range, and then another potential yeah. six inches behind the tremor, yeah. where you potentially could hit I, something 21 inches away. It's just yeah, nuts. I, 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 I did use that trick because you you told me about like these shenanigans with Broger, tremor, and the drum, and I did some math on it, and I, I pulled that one out in um and in Worcester against uh, Goblin Town, uh, made that threat massive threat range with the drum. And yeah, it forced my opponent to go really wide and spread out to make the tremors not work as properly. And then I just went, kill, Blade Wrath on, uh, Bray Wrath on that guy, in we go. Rutabi just murdered, like, four guys into a captain, killed another guy as well, like, killed a captain, got the point back. So, yeah, it's some, some it's it's really great trick with the Brogear one. But yeah, the, the, the moving out around the flanks and stuff too, and, yeah. Keeping that in my back pocket in my toolbox because, uh, yeah, uh, I, like I've learned so much with the air dragon. Like I played the Dragon Emperor, uh, but I play, I've played it very differently to what you and Michael have, and Articon and stuff, and watching you guys play it and hearing your ideas and the thought processes. And have you like? I think this is the key thing too. Have you guys properly explain how you're using certain abilities and how you're using the engages too? has been really helpful for me um, because, yeah, it's it's. I thought I was good with the Dragon Emperor before. Uh, this has really kind of like humbled me a little bit in going, you know, there's this this has this army has a lot of skill expression. You just need to be willing to take the models to allow you to have that skill expression. Yeah, and it's also a, a bit of um, an annoyance on my end. That's it's a sentiment, right? Where people are like, oh, it's the mm. Dragon Emperor, like it's a low skill army. Uh, of course you'll do well with it because and there's a, a small core of truth to it because it's a fairly easy army to get the basics of right because the basic premise of yeah. it is fairly straightforward it's not a, an army where you need to learn a bunch of things like a soul of lorian where it has lots of moving yeah. parts 
but there's so many nitty-gritty little details to like list building to how you approach different angles to your positioning which is absolutely key like not every emperor player is going to grace the top table just by picking up the army and by saying that it's an overpowered army and anyone that plays it can do well it really it kind of diminishes the achievements of people that are yeah. doing well with it and maybe there's there's some truth to the fact that it's overtuned at the moment and maybe we'll see it you know tuned back down at the faq in february <laughs> who knows um yeah but in the meantime saying Sorry. that it, you know people playing the emperor are just you know winning because it's an overpowered legion i think doesn't really quite do it justice yeah yeah, sorry, sorry about the the shaky cam there, everyone. Uh, my battery just came up and pinged me. You are on one percent, or about to, to wink out of existence. Oh wow! So I was like, probably should get that into a charger like now. Uh, unfortunately for me, like all the chargers in this room are in the most awkward spaces. Like the desk is over here, mm -hmm. right? And I've had my phone like sitting up here. No PowerPoints. Like they're all like, oh wow. The cord doesn't reach. So I'm like. Is yeah, it's just a really awkward position to be in. Yeah. All right. Well, I think um, we've we've <laughs> gone off uh, enough tangents, anyways. That uh, yes. maybe we should work towards wrapping up the episode. Yes. Um, yes. Probably. <laughs> any closing thoughts that you'd like to share on our, our master's experience at Articon this year? Um, I think we've, we've kind of really kind of covered everything. But I, I will say it has been an absolute privilege to play the top players in the world in that kind of environment and i know we said it earlier but i, I feel like it's that important to, to like reiterate and most importantly kind of share because i think this is uh, something that the, the top level players in the community need to go out of their way to lead by example to show because if the whole community can get to that kind of camaraderie that kind of uh, there's no other way to describe it but professionalism in a game like the sky's the limit at that point because i mean we've, we've all seen like people getting angry at the dice and hissy fits thrown at tables and the fact that none of that happened at the masters event none of that there was no argy bargy there was there was no negative play experiences everyone was there playing to win to win every game and to do well and that to me was the thing that i took away the most from the masters irregardless of everything else and the achievements i managed to pull off it was it was seeing that, yeah, if we can lead the way in this particular aspect, the community is going to thrive because of it. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Uh, I touched upon it in, in like the video I made for Belfast as well. It's like when you get to the, the top tables and you play against the best players, there's this understanding and you just have really good games. But if you're like close to top tables, there's people trying to reach the top. And sometimes you encounter these people that are trying a little bit too hard. And they're yeah. trying to take everything they can in order to win. They're like rules lowering, or they're like, no, that model isn't within six. When clearly you tried to move within six and things like that. It's like then when you you get, sometimes get these experiences where it's like it's less pleasant. And I really, yes. I, I I I really agree with you. Like I really hope that as a community we can go beyond that and be like, no, that's not rules lawyer these things. Like you know what the other player is intending to do. Um, don't try to win the game on a technicality. Try to win the game because you're playing better or at the very yeah. least you create a situation in which the dice can reward you because you know yeah, there's always and, some luck involved and, yeah and and like with that as well like when you I, I think the step for those players that are in that position of about to break into the top tiers of this game don't take that that scrapping for everything don't take that step forward i feel that's actually the step back because it, it almost it puts a block in front of you of being able to almost not acknowledge your opponent's skill and 
it, there's that kind of arrogant feeling of like, yeah, this this is the point where I think if you take the other other approach of like treating your opponents with respect, treating them with you know the idea that they are as good as you and that they're a worthy opponent and that both of you know fully well what's happening in the game and it's down to generalship, that's the step that's going to take you forward because it, when you get into that mindset and that uh, kind of thoughts into the game, you get into this position of like, you're trying now to outthink rather than outcraft and be that crafty player. You're, you're trying to be the better general and it helps you be the better general. And I think a, a really good uh, example of this is Evan Madison from the US because his his journey over the past kind of, um, since I last saw him in 2019, I, I, was, I was blown away with just how, just how much of a professional he was at the table. And I, I hope that all the other players that are coming up through the ranks and, and are playing the game take, you know, take that example and play the same way because there's no better feeling than when two players have play a game at that level and you walk away with both with a smile on your face regardless of the result because yeah i mean i had games exactly the same way down in the in the, in the open when I, I caught losses and was like i couldn't have played that any better you couldn't have played that any better that was just an absolute banger of a game and yeah i hope to see more players do that yeah yeah absolutely yeah i totally agree there um, I think for me, closing thoughts, um, I particularly enjoyed the Masters because going up to the Masters, I was still like, can I really dance with the best? Like, you know, from from like every country. Like Belfast was for me, like maybe it was a fluke. Um, maybe I just got lucky. Um, but I think the Masters really confirmed like, no, I can definitely mm. play on the same level. And at some point it's just about... Uh, you know, playing on the nice edge. Uh, a few more dice go your favor, you might win a game. If you dice don't go your your favor, you lose mm. the game. And that's really reassuring to see that um, you know you can get to that level. But it also it's it's really pleasant experience. It's it's really nice playing games in that level and and thoroughly enjoyable. So for anyone watching, anyone listening, go play in these tournaments. Go play at qualifiers. Go play at large open events um, because you'll become a better player for it. Um, and it's also just really enjoyable to play against these people from all across the world or from maybe all across australia or because mm. like not everyone can fly out everywhere of course um, yeah but it's just really nice meeting these people learning new things and just becoming a better uh, player through it and then it also gives at least in my case a, a new and more appreciation for the hobby as well seeing all of these different strategies and these different takes on armies and uh it's just yeah, it's it's great. It's fantastic. It always inspires me to try out more armies and new things. Mm, yeah, definitely a hundred percent. All right, amazing. Well, I think that's uh, that should be a wrap. <laughs> We've been talking. Enough, yeah, that should be uh, a that should <laughs> be a good, good good wrap up point. Uh, so not, not many to hide. I don't actually on. have a I have like a closing thing that I say for these kind of things. So. I guess have a good night. I do. Night. <laughs> I, have a, I have a closing thing that I say at the end of every episode. Uh, it, it's very synonymous with our podcast. It's uh, Trashman Games. And they absolutely did in our game as well. So thanks everyone for attending and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, 
those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on the Green Dragon Podcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.